Chapter 4 of What Are Wonders Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Rybnikova, Moscow, Russia. What Are Wonders Every Child Should Know by Jane M. Thompson. Chapter 4 Mysteries and Beauties of the Snow. Quote, Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? End quote. Job, chapter 38, verse 22. Most of us have given little time or very serious thought to the study of the snow and the marvelous detail which goes to fashion the individual snow crystal. In fact, if we live in a crowded city, we are inclined to look upon a heavy snowfall as something of a nuisance to be shoveled and carted away as expeditiously as may be by the army of men employed by the city for that purpose. There it lies, soiled and unlovely, impeding pedestrianism and traffic, and thoroughly undesirable until it is cleared away. But once outside, in the open country, we are inclined to gaze forth upon the poor expanse of snow-covered hill and plain, resplendent and dazzling as it stretches afar under the pale winter sunshine, with a more kindly, tolerant mood. For there we may view the snow in all its unsullied charm, and it will surely bring fine sleighing, we concede, and the children are hilarious and happy over prospective snow sports. But I wish to give you a brief glimpse into a realm of snow which is filled with charm and mystery, and when you have looked into that realm and studied for yourself the marvelous phenomena and detail of snow crystal formation, you will doubtless ever after when gazing forth upon a snow-covered expanse, or in watching the fluttering, swirling flakes at their descent, exclaim, Oh, the wonder and mystery of it all! How can it be possible for such exquisitely beautiful jeweled crystals to fashion themselves in the vast spaces of the heavens among the clouds? Snow is, in itself, the water in solution, crystallized into irregular and regular, more or less geometrical forms and designs of which there are two distinct types, the crystalline and the granular forms. The granular formations embody a special type and the crystalline formations are usually transparent or ice-like and vary in size greatly, some being about three-quarters of an inch in great diameter. They fall either singly or bunched together according to whether the temperature and humidity is high or low. The structural formation of snow crystals is generally found to be of hexagonal shape, usually six-cornered or pointed, although rare types have been discovered and photographed where such was not the case at the trigonal crystals shown. Snow crystals have been classified as to structural formation into two types, the tubular and columnar. The columnar types are formed of long, slender, needle-like crystals or columns, usually tapering at one end, while the tubular crystals are developed upon an extremely thin tubular plane. Frequently we find that two types have united, thus forming the compound crystal, which is rare and frequently a very beautiful showy snow jewel. The tubular crystals are of more common occurrence and exhibit greater beauty and diversity of outline than the plain columnar types. The internal formation and design of the snow crystal is of great importance and interest, and the delicately etched markings which occur upon their surfaces and are so well brought out in the photomicrographic illustrations are due to certain minute air inclusions, or small air tubes. When the light falls upon the crystal, these air tubes appear as dark tracings or lines and shadings and go to form and carry out the design of each individual crystal. 
During great snowstorms, the winds within such storms blowing spirally inward towards the storm's center near the earth and at the same time upward and outward above exert the vast powers of bringing together the material, the water vapors, which in conjunction with the icy breath of the raging blizzard perfects the formation of the snow crystal. Far above the clouds, in the vast silences of space, in thinnest air, supported solely by uprushing winds, the little snow crystals form and multiply, embellished and enlarged by their continual warring contact with the elements, until at last they descend earthward. Many of these beautiful crystals are doubtless great travelers, for they are frequently, when first generated in space, exceedingly light in formation. So much so that not until they have been buffeted about repeatedly by the Storm King do they gain sufficiently in structure and in weight to descend. They are gradually built up and become heavier by the varying conditions of air pressure, degrees of humidity, aided also by electric currents. Often the delicate crystals are handled so very roughly while passing from cloud to cloud, strata, and violent choppy winds that there are frequent collisions and many of the crystals reach us in a broken, imperfect state. Perfect crystals are by no means common and it requires infinite patience and skill to capture and photograph them in perfection. During a great blizzard or snowstorm lasting for days, which one might reasonably hope would be quite prolific of many perfect specimens, perhaps only one or two really perfect or noteworthy crystals may be obtained. It is only within the past few years that scientists have been enabled to secure crystal grass with any degree of success, so that all early observers of snow crystal formation were compelled to rely upon the magnifying glass for all information regarding their delicate formation, and crude drawings were made from such observation and served to illustrate articles upon the subject, as shown in the early writings of Tyndale and others. It is to Mr. Wilson A. Bentley, who is recognized as the pioneer in crystal photography, that I am indebted for the wonderfully beautiful illustrations shown, and which have been selected with much care, in order to give us as clearly as possible some idea of the many distinct types and the formation of crystals produced during given types of storms or blizzards. Mr. Bentley has, during his many years of valuable work for the government along these lines, secured 1,300 distinct snow crystals. Strangely enough, in all that time he has never run across duplicates. Nature, it seems, is ever versatile and the rarity of her patterns is practically inexhaustible. Unlike the mineral crystals or those found in the mineral kingdom which form beneath the surface of the earth and are dependent largely upon their surroundings and environments for their crystalline formation, the snow crystal is more ethereal, born in the vast spaces of the heavens, fashioned by the changing clouds and vapors, its lullaby the hoarse crooning of the mighty blizzard, the little snowflake is tossed to and fro, now born to earth for a brief time, only to be caught upward and tempest-tossed into space again. Perhaps this process occurs many times, for the snowflake is a mere plaything of the storm, until at last the capricious winds permit the snowflake to descend. Timidly and gently it is at last allowed to fall, seeking a final resting place upon the broad bosom of Mother Earth. It is thus that the snow crystal grows and matures, owing its crystalline formation entirely to the constant tossing and warring with the mighty forces of the storm and the buffeting which it encounters upon its long journey earthwards. Quote, Whene'er a snowflake leaves the sky, it turns and turns to say goodbye, goodbye, dear clouds, so cool and gray, then turns and hastens on its way. But when a snowflake finds a tree, good day, it says, good day to thee, thou art so bare and lonely, dear, I'll rest and find a playmate here. 
But when a snowflake brave and meek lights on a little maiden's cheek, it starts, how warm and mild the day, tis summer, and it melts away. End quote. It is of course utterly impossible to bring before you in the photomicrographs of the snow crystals all their many charms, their exquisite hues and rainbow shadings, as each crystal radiates with prismatic hues which are due greatly to air inclusions and resembles closely, at times, clusters of magnificent jewels. We get this affected mass if we gaze forth upon a wide expanse of snow illuminated by pale moonlight or flooded by strong sunshine. The scintillation is almost too dazzling at times for the eyes and we are dully impressed by the magnitude of snow crystal formation, numberless they are, and like the sands of the seashore. We find that in making a collection of snow crystals by photomicrograph during a period covering 20 years of study in which 1300 perfect specimens were found that the entire number discovered one must would form only about one cubic inch of snow. How many millions of these exquisitely constructed jewels do we heedlessly crush and shatter unconsciously during a brief walk in the snow and how crude and imperfect seem the productions of human minds and hands when compared to those formed by the blind forces of nature? The exquisite and varied types of snow crystals herein shown were photographed in northern Vermont, a locality where the snowstorms are frequently long and severe and where the country by roads are blocked and impassable for days, while huge drifts pile high above the fences and often cover the windows. Whittier brings before us the whole picture so charmingly in his beautiful snowbound. Quote, Zigzag, wavering to and fro, crossed and recrossed the winged snow, and ere the early bedtime came, the white drift piled the window pane. End quote. In the severe winter snowstorms, which our New England poets illustrate so aptly, we become familiar with the snow in all its unsullied purity, and if we are New England born, we never forget the white, frozen charms of those rigid winters, no matter where we stray or how torrid the sunshine of our abiding place in later years. Many there are among us who are familiar with and love that winter idyll, the wintry landscape, a blended symphony of coloring, warm grassed browns, gray, and rich velvety greens. Against the dense greens of the hemlock and spruce, the sturdy mottled sycamore branches with their little pendant russet boles clinging tenaciously to their topmost twigs, stand forth in bold relief, while graceful white birches, slender and ghost-like, mingle and blend with the somber gray trunks of chestnut and birch which toss and sway their denuded branches high in the frosty air. Cold gray sky, then stealing down appear the first silent fluttering snowflakes, floating gently earthward. A brooding silence settles over all, unbroken save perhaps by a straggling flight of crows winging their way heavily to safe shelter among the distant forest of dark pines. Timidly at first descend the first advance heralds of the great storm, the tiny snowflakes. Then suddenly, ever faster and faster, they assemble until the dreary, leaden skies and the landscape picture is confused and merged together in a gray curtain, shut out by the wildly eddying, swirling snow. Quote, Announced by all the trumpets of the sky, arrives the snow and driving o'er the fields, seems nowhere to light the white nair, hides hills and woods the rivers and the heavens, and wails the farmhouse at the garden's end. End quote. Every living thing instinctively seeks safe sanctuary against the advancing fury of the storm, and desolation broods over all the land. The hoarse winds rise and rage and croon their wailing symphonies about the picturesque old grey-gabled farmhouses, and the inmates settle themselves contentedly within doors where all is made safe and snug. 
and thus the mighty blizzard rages for days. But at last the grateful sunshine deigns to burst forth once again, and like magic the scene of desolation has changed. Quote, Come, see the north wind's masonry, out of an unseen quarry evermore, furnished with tile, the fierce artificer curves the white bastions with projected roofs, round every windward stake or tree or door, least when the sun appears, astonished art, to mimic in slow structures, stone by stone, built in an age the mad wind's nightwork, the frolic architecture of the snow. End quote. For the trees, which toss their naked gnarled branches in the pitiless wind before the storm, had been rejuvenated and clothed anew in soft white velvet draperies, and the old grey fence rails gleam and scintillate, cushioned with snow. It would almost seem as though nature had endeavoured to carry out some special decorative scheme when she draped the evergreens, for see how beautiful are the southern pines with their brush-like tufts of needles, each one resembling a snowy pompon of feathers. The graceful, drooping Hakmatak tree looks as though the children had decorated it with strings of popcorn, the tiny cones at intervals, each touched with a wisp of white snow carrying out the effect. While the balsams wave their serrated branches, each tiny needle outlined in white, and the stately hemlocks bend low their glossy green boughs, flattened and draped heavily with snow. In the hedges the thick underbrush appears, for all the world like a field of ripening cotton, each group of twigs supporting a whirl of cotton-like snow. No true New Englander repines or deplores the desolation of such a scene. To him it is not a gloomy spectacle, but rather festive. Should he wander alone for a field, perhaps across some hilly pasture, where about the soft snow hummocks last year's drying seed pods and grasses gleam, frost-touched and sparkling in the sunshine, into the age of the spruce bush, if you are a lover of nature in all her moods, aside from the glittering beauties which meet the eye upon every hand, you will be impressed by a wonderful calmness, a brooding silence which came with the advent of the snow. The silence is so impressive that even the velvety pad of some little furry creature in the underbrush is startling, and the tapping of the brave little woodpecker up aloft sounds stridently keen and obtrusive. It is as though the storm in passing had left as a benediction this great peace which broods over all. In tropical countries snow is never seen, for it does not reach the earth excepting that which falls upon lofty mountain tops. On the summits of very high mountains the snow occurs intermittently, whether in frigid or tropical zones. Snow is a wonderfully important factor in the laws which govern irrigation, for as it melts upon the tops of mountains it adds greatly to the watershed or drainage, flowing into all streams and carrying fertility to all regions. Although certain types of snow crystals may be detected with the naked eye, most of them are so tiny that their structural form cannot be determined without the aid of a microscope. If you chance to be out of doors during a snowfall and happen to wear a dark coat of wool material, observe closely the flakes which chance to alight upon your sleeve and perhaps you may be able to recognize a true crystal. When, as we sometimes remark, quote, Mother Goose is shaking out her feather bed, end quote, and the white flakes come drifting down in large loose feathery flakes, then we may more readily discover a crystal without the aid of a glass. It is then that we find the lace-like open branchy and star-like shapes. This usually formed during a local storm, or from a storm preceded by a warm wave. But the hard pellet-like crystals which sting our window panes in falling are from a very high altitude and have been great travelers. The study of the snow and its many mysterious phases is full of surprise and charm, and its various demonstrations fascinating and almost unexplainable. 
among the many strange manifestations encountered in the Kingdom of Snow, perhaps there is nothing more mysterious than the so-called snow rollers. They are rather a recent discovery among snow students and not frequently encountered. Two good examples of these curious rollers are given in photograph illustrations. The photographer came upon them quite unexpectedly and thought at first that the children had been amusing themselves by rolling huge snowballs. But, upon investigation, he discovered that these mysterious bundles of snow were quite hollow, like a large muff, and scattered at intervals over a large snow-covered field. These mysterious snow rollers form only after a light fluffy snowfall, followed by a rise in the temperature from a degree or so above zero up to 36 or 38 degrees above, accompanied by a peculiar straight gusty wind. The rollers form most frequently in the foothill regions, wherein these gusty winds pour over and around the hilltops and down across the valleys. After the temperature has reached 36 to 38 degrees above and the snow upon the surface of the ground has been slightly dampened and rendered sticky, the capricious wind gusts scoop up here and there small particles of the moist snow and overturn them upon that in front forming a ridge or hollow arc, which is the commencement of the snow roller. Then the wind gets back of it and proceeds to roll it forward, until, as it gradually rolls along, it accumulates more snow and increases in size, until it becomes too heavy a plaything for the sport of the winds and then it stops. The snow rollers grow in size both in diameter and in length, as they roll long and attain various sizes from a few inches in diameter up to two feet in diameter. Some of the rolls are overturned by the boisterous winds in such a manner as to form a hollow snow arc, and hence some of the rolls are hollow even when matured. Hundreds of these rather mysterious snow formations occur to the acre of land, and they form both on a dead level and upon inclines. The snow crystal study is extremely fascinating, is well shown, for Mr. Bentley declares that although he works out of doors for hours at a time, when often his hands are well-nigh frostbitten by the intense cold and below-zero weather, yet he is himself almost unconscious of discomfort or real suffering from the cold, so keenly interested and intent is he at the time in securing some new and wonderful type of crystal to add to his already large collection of snow jewels. To make a collection of the snow crystals, it is necessary, first of all, to make a receiving board. This is just a flat board covered with black velvet or wool material. The operator then places the board in a favorable position for catching the flakes as they descend, and then closely watches the receiving board as flake after flake alights upon the black surface. His eye will become sufficiently trained by experience at last to detect a fairly perfect specimen. If such a crystal alights, and sometimes it is very waiting, for in a storm lasting an entire day, frequently but two or three perfect crystals deign to alight upon the receiving board, but when the perfect crystal arrives, then with infinite skill and just the right touch, which must be acquired by practice, the little crystal is gently lifted upon a tiny, sharp-pointed stick, transferred to the slide and photographed as quickly as possible before it has had an opportunity to dissolve and become again a mere drop of an uninteresting moisture. The camera used is photomicrographic, or a camera with a microscopic attachment. Regarding the formation of the snow into crystalline forms, we are told that the molecules and atoms of all substances, when allowed freedom of movement, form themselves into many definite shapes and designs called crystals. Minerals, gold, silver, iron, sulfur, when melted and permitted to cool, gradually show this crystallizing power. 
and by dissolving saltpeter in water and allowing the solution to slowly evaporate, large crystals will form, more or less symmetrical, as the salt is converted into vapor. Allium readily crystallizes in the same way. The diamond is crystallized carbon, and all precious stones are examples of mineral crystals. It would be quite an interesting and novel experiment to photograph some of these crystals formed of minerals such as saltpeter, allium and others, and to compare them with the structural formation of snow crystals. Water itself, as a liquid, is to all appearances formless. When sufficiently cooled, however, the molecules are brought within play of the crystallizing force, and thus arrange themselves in more or less attractive crystals. A most interesting point, while well worthy of consideration, is that it is extremely improbable that anyone has as yet found, perhaps never will find, the one preeminently beautiful and symmetrical snow crystal, which nature has probably fashioned in her most artistic mood, her masterpiece. The study of this unique branch of nature work is as yet in its infancy. It possesses all the charm of novelty, and many who take it up will find in it a source of much pleasure, as well as instruction. It would seem that there is really no limit to the number of distinct forms and types among the snow crystals. It will be noted that many of the designs are most rare and fanciful, and really worthy of developing and reproducing in many ways. The open, lace-like types might well be copied by a jeweler or worker in precious stones, for nothing could be more exquisite and pendant or brooch than one of these snow crystal designs carried out in diamonds. Others suggest rare patterns for lacework and embroideries, while others are wonderfully effective pieces of mosaic work or suggestive studies for stained window glass. Many of the patterns might well serve for wallpaper or print material designs. And as a drawing lesson, the simpler forms might be copied and with their history and detail afford a pleasant and profitable study. Ideas along these lines, it seems to me, are limitless and well worth cultivating. Again, to quote Whittier, how charmingly has he portrayed in the following lines the strangely beautiful and mysterious formation of the ethereal snow crystal. Quote, so all night long the storm roared on, the morning broke without the sun, in tiny spheral traced with lines of nature's geometric signs in starry flake and pellicle, all day the hoary meteors fell. End quote. That all may know and understand the life history and formation of the crystals shown in the photographs, I will give a brief description of each, which you will doubtless find both interesting and instructive. It will be seen that each crystal possesses some individual characteristic, differing entirely from its predecessor, and each in its way fascinating and beautiful. Number 61. A very showy crystal of local storm type, also a blizzard crystal formed in low, warm altitude. Number 62. This exquisite crystal might well suggest a jewelled brooch or pendant of rare workmanship. It began its formation in a very high altitude where the solid hexagonal center was formed, started to descend in plain hexagonal form, but was caught upwards by the rushing clouds, tossed about a while, and then allowed to pass into a lower, warmer altitude, where its elaborated branches were added. Number 63. A high, frigid altitude crystal, notable for its delicately traced center design, and the six curious, apparently raised formations in the planar spaces. Number 64. Remarkable for its six beautiful prism-like rays and central wheel-like structure. Number 65. An exquisitely designed center with air inclusions strongly marked. Number 66. This crystal has been formed of two sections and must have encountered another broken crystal in its travels, with which it united, and from this its crystalline growth formed. 
Number 68. An oddity. The air inclusions are very strongly marked and bring into sharp relief its rare central design. Number 69. A local storm type. These crystals are always loose and feathery in construction. Number 70. Was started in a very high, cold altitude and completed in warmer clouds. Number 71. A rare trigonal form, a sort of freak crystal. Number 72 has delicate tracings. Number 73. A very remarkable group of snow crystals, which always attract wonder and incredulity as they appear upon close inspection to represent quite a pretty set of collar buttons or studs. The snow crystals are the product of a very great storm and they traveled a long distance before reaching the Earth. They were generated in a very high frigid altitude. When the singular snow crystal descended, they fell in parachute fashion, the larger section downward. Number 74. Low altitude type. Number 75. This crystal is remarkable for the peculiar delicately etched tracings of its center and the rather curious designs in each scallop, a rarity. Number 76. A crystal powdered with frost work has granular edges. Number 77. A flower type, having few air inclusions as it grew rapidly and continuously. Number 78. A very beautiful jewel design of the diamond pendant type, a local storm crystal. Number 79. Also a local storm crystal, generated in warm low clouds. Number 80. A perfect hexagonal type, having rarely beautiful air inclusions. Number 81. A lace-like crystal. Number 82. Note the very beautiful central elaboration of this crystal and the plain, apparently unfinished branches. Number 83. An extremely showy crystal, also a blizzard type. Number 84. A singularly beautiful type, having unique central elaborations and perfect glass-like prismatic branches. Number 85. Here we have what appears at first glance to be some secret emblem of Masonic order sent from Cloudland, of rare trigonal solid form. Number 86. An Egyptian mystery. Study the markings of this strange crystal closely, its delicately edged center formation and the strange characters which form its border. May it not well be some secret cipher message from the skies? Who shall say? This crystal is an extremely cold weather type, as all solidly formed crystals are. Number 87. The peculiarity of this crystal is the apparent correction made in its nuclear construction. Number 88. A very delicate and beautiful type. Note the strange grouping of symmetrically arranged dots in its center formation. Number 89. Trigonal. A general storm type. Number 90. Upon the face of this crystal appear young germ crystals, which have attached themselves to the crystal proper. Number 91. Round, granular snow pellets from cumulus clouds. Number 92. Columnar snow crystals. A peculiarity noticeable in these ice-like prisms is that each one contains, apparently at first glance, a picture held in its depth. Number 93. This is another distinct type of snow, the needle or specular form, sleety which stings and cuts the face when driven by high winds. Number 94. A piece of old snow, recrystallized. Number 95. This crystal is remarkable in that it fell and grew heavier side downward, leaving its upper branches undeveloped. Numbers 96 and 97 show the mysterious snow rollers scattered over the surface of a field, with a glimpse of the wintry landscape as a background. Numbers 98, 99 and 100 are freak crystals, 100 showing singularly shaped tablets attached. Number 101. A twin crystal. Number 102. This crystal grew very rapidly and continuously, a warm cloud type. Number 103. Two types combined.
Number 104. A rare design, with fluted prisms, central etchings notable. Number 105. A remarkably fine specimen, a cold weather type of crystal, also has marked perfection in air inclusions. Number 106. This crystal is another great traveler, a high altitude type. Such crystals usually possess marked precision and finishing detail as they are long and forming. Number 107. A star crystal. Number 108. Notable for its very dark center and scroll-like detail. Number 109. Plain, high altitude type. Number 110. Local storm type. Number 111. A prismatic beauty. Number 112. A very frigid altitude type. Number 113. Contrasting, low altitude type. Number 114. This crystal possesses a remarkably intricate and noteworthy center. Number 115. Also has elaborate center design. Number 116. A remarkably beautiful jeweled effect. Intricate center. This crystal is another mystery. It is of a high altitude type and is called the arrow crystal because of the six clearly defined arrows upon its surface. A crystal worthy of study. Number 117. Remarkable feathery type. Low altitude crystal. Number 118. Notable for very dark center and invasion of germ crystals upon its surface. Number 119. Shows a high altitude type where the center hexagonal portion is well perfected, but the branch-like rays show imperfections and incompleteness of structural formation. Number 120 is one of the most showy crystals in the collection, of trigonal formation with fantastic prism-like branches, a high altitude type. Number 121 is a strange crystal, something of a freak, while number 122 is a singularly beautiful type, notable for its very dark center and the unique and rather mysterious tracings which go to form its border. This crystal must have remained in a very high altitude for some time before descending, as it shows finely finished detail. Number 123 is a beautiful flower type. Usually the branches merge together, but in this instance they remained open like flower petals. Number 124, a high-altitude crystal covered with a deposit of granular snow. Number 125, very high-altitude type, having curious inner tracings. Number 126, a beautiful symmetrical star design with leaf-like terminating branches, a local storm type. Number 127, a great traveler from a cold high altitude. End of chapter 4 Recording by Julia Rybnikova, Moscow, Russia.